Grand Budapest Hotel again. This time when I watched it, I thought, oh, this is a really fun little movie. Uh, the first time I watched it, I just went back and listened to that episode. I guess I was just pissed off that I waited so long for a great new Wes Anderson movie and got that. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was just pissed off like uh, you know John Syracuse was when he did uh, Star Wars Episode One. We waited 16 years for this. You know, we waited two years for this. I mean, comparatively, two years is nothing, but it's still the same thing. I was waiting for something really, really great and only got a movie that was really, really kind of fun and lighthearted and not very know emotional like Wes Anderson's other movies I've talked about this twice before Uh, you can go back into the back catalog I believe the first one was episode 27 and the second one was uh, some other time later than that but the you know seven minute episodes so it shouldn't be that bad but the thing is you know this time when I watched it again I realized how inaccessible and difficult it is I mean I talked about this before it goes back and back and back I'm sick. It goes back and back and back into a bunch of different uh, levels of the story. It starts out, I guess, the modern day, then goes back to the 80s, then the 60s, and then the 30s. And there's all these different things separating you from the story. And in each of those stories, it's not very accessible to watch. You know, you're not, I don't want to say you're not invested, but you're not gripped in immediately, just like the other movies that Wes Anderson's done. And I find it amazing that, you know, this is not the Wes Anderson movie I'm going to pick out in 10, 15 years when I show someone their first Wes Anderson movie. It's going to be something like Moonrise Kingdom or Royal Tenenbaums. But the thing is, this movie, I just looked this up on um, Box Office Mojo. Let me pull that up. This movie is his most profitable movie yet. 58 million worldwide. And no, 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 58 million uh, domestic worldwide. It's 166 million this movie did fantastically uh, overseas. Domestic uh, 58 million was only 35% of the total gain. And it blows my mind that this movie, his least accessible, just because, you know, you're not gripped immediately, nothing too personal, exciting, I don't know, nothing happens in this movie. But the thing is, for some reason, this is the one that resonates the most with people, at least the people willing to pay for movie tickets. And I don't understand why. I showed it to my family and uh, they seemed to enjoy it. Uh, my family, my parents fell asleep. My brother enjoyed it. He really enjoyed it for some reason. And it, I'm just so confused by this movie and I had to get that out. I had to get that onto this podcast. But at least this time, I feel like I came to terms a little bit more with what the movie is. It's just a straightforward, fun little adventure that isn't as, you know, super in-depth or personal or detailed. Well, it's detailed. It's Wes Anderson. But it's not as, you know fleshed out of a world or characters as other Wes Anderson movies. And I feel like that's necessary because he's such an obtuse director. He makes beautiful shots. He makes these amazing, uh, you know, sequences and set pieces and things. But when he's not as personal and not as, you know, he's not bringing you in with all these characters in uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. And that's necessary with Wes Anderson because when... uh, you don't have any of that connection to the characters. Everything is lost. Nothing makes any sense. Nothing has a point. And I feel like this movie is a lot more like Life Aquatic for that same reason. I don't feel like Life Aquatic was very personal at all. I feel like it's not very, you know, 
interesting in that way. And it pisses me off that, not pisses me off, but it surprises me that this movie is his most successful. Life Aquatic is by far his least successful, and Grin Budapest Hotel is his most successful. So I don't know. I don't know why those two movies are outliers for me. I don't know why they're outliers for everybody else in the world, or at least everyone that's willing to pay for their movies. I don't understand why, you know... I'm glad that at least Wes Anderson is bringing this kind of cinema into the light. You know, people were saying when the movie first released, as far as I know, it's still playing in theaters. Even though the uh, Blu-ray is out and it's been on iTunes for a while, as far as I know, it's still playing in theaters. It was like a art house runaway uh, box office hit. And that blows my mind. You know, it was it started out at small theaters like Coolidge Corner and, uh, you know, a few other really small places, Brattle here in Boston, I'm sure other uh, places in San Francisco, LA, Philly, New York. But then I saw it again for the second time at an AMC, almost a month after it had come out. And I think it's still playing now, even, you know, this late into the game. And why people are still willing to pay for this movie, why people are still willing to see it, when all of his other movies are out there, and they're so much better, they're so much more engaging in ways that Grand Budapest isn't. I, I'm shocked, and I'm really, really confused by it. Uh, I hope... I, I I know that this is a new direction for Anderson, because Moonrise Kingdom, he reached this uh, peak in confidence that let him do what I think is the most uh, pure Anderson movie. It's so uh, real, genuine. He poured everything he had into it, and then Grand Budapest Hotel. I heard someone say that it's the first movie that feels like he's not nursing a personal wound. And while that may be true, I feel like the movie loses something because of it. I feel like it loses that kind of uh, edge and that kind of personal connection that you really need with Wes Anderson because he's so obtuse. He's so, uh, you know, he distances you so much because you're reminded constantly that this is a movie. You're reminded so much because of all his flair and style, and it's wonderful, but you're reminded so much that you're only watching these people through a screen, uh, watching actors interpret a script through a lens that's very meticulously placed with set pieces that are just as meticulously placed. And I don't understand why this one that has the most of that and the least uh, emotion invested in any of it, why it's so popular and it resonates with so many different people. I, I'm dumbstruck. I'm so confused about it. I, it's the most bizarre form of Stockholm syndrome. I'm going to see this movie again. I'm going to have more opinions about it. I'm going to try to figure it out. I'm going to try to figure out why it's popular, why people love it so much and why I hate it so much. Um, maybe I'll do like an Anderson, a thon Anderson marathon where I'll just watch the movies. I love figure out what I love about them and then figure out why I don't like the Grand Budapest Hotel. Thanks for listening to this surprisingly negative episode of the ATR podcast. I promise I'll get a lot more excited about movies tomorrow. 